Hello and welcome to Money Chill Out, the podcast to get inspired and feel good about your money. I'm Mike Afino, a woman in my 30s, ex-trader in the city of London, yoga teacher and owner of my financial empowerment business. On this podcast, I want to open up the discussion around money and investments and dive into personal finance management, which can be a great liberator, but also a huge stress factor in our lives. Every other week, I'll be joined by guests for conversations on money, mindsets, investment habits, and any best practices they abide by. So join me on this journey as we unpick the complexities of finance and get more comfortable talking about our money. You too can get financial peace of mind and it starts with empowerment and knowledge. Let's go. So hi, Peter, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Everything's in Lisbon. Really pleased just to see how your company is going and really following your progress and uh, delighted to see that with the successes that you're having. Yeah, thank you so much, Snow. Life is good here. <laughs> but yeah, look, for, for our listeners, we actually met when we were students. We studied together our master's degree in London. So yeah, brings us back to 2010. Quite a long time. Yes, it, it does feel like a long time ago now. Yeah, I'm still living in London and I've got a young family, but it does feel like a lot has changed uh, since then for both of us, I suppose. Yeah, no, same here. So today, I definitely want to speak about passive investing. And it's not the first time that we're talking about it because it's a big subject. But what I want to do with you and really about explaining and why it's interesting and how we can use it in a global portfolio vision. So we're going to talk about strategy and I couldn't find a better person than you because you're an ETF portfolio manager at LGIM, one of the most well-known funds in the UK. So if we take a bit of perspective, so can you tell us about the different ways we as individuals can invest and where passive investment sits? Sure. So if you think about investing, there's really a broad spectrum of ways to think about things. Uh, so the terms index investing and passive investing can be used somewhat interchangeably, but um, I guess my preference is kind of for index investing. So that kind of sits at one end of the range. Um, so by investing passively, you're kind of participating in markets, but you're generally not taking a more specific view on individual companies. And um, so by investing this way, you're kind of saying that you think that markets are somewhat efficient, but you and you're generally total cost of investing aware. Uh, so within index investing, there's lots of different approaches and depending on the approach taken or how innovative the product is, there are kind of multiple different price points. Um, so at the very other end of the kind of investing spectrum is active investing. Uh, these funds can be the subject of a whole other podcast because it's such a varied topic. And the strategies that each of these funds follow are also so kind of varied, but the costs tend to be higher uh, than your average index equivalent. And as we'll discuss probably later on in the podcast, um, there's somewhere kind of for nuance between the two extremes. So, you know, I guess thematic investing is kind of an index approach, but kind of packaged in a more kind of active way. So we can go into that nuance later. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. So thanks for shedding the light between passive and active and, and just giving the broad view. So if we go deep now into the passive or index investing, can you describe what it is? Sure. So it's really where a fund follows um, 
a kind of a rules-based approach. So um, the indices probably lay out their methodology for picking investments to kind of add to them, to bump them out of the index universe. But it's a kind of somewhat tight mandate that's given to the portfolio manager. So, you know, your objective is to deliver the return of the index and kind of invest according to the rules of, of the publicized index. So with an active PM, you know, you can have a, a much broader mandate and, you know, it's kind of expected to be a more value-add kind of approach taken by the portfolio manager for that kind of investment approach. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And how big is that investment management compared to the full investment world? So do you have any statistics you want to share or even trends? Sure. I don't have any statistics to hand, but much of the media commentary on this has been all about the rise of passive investing or index investing. So the trend in in recent years has been about index investing taking more of the kind of overall pie. And yeah, maybe just to kind of speak more to a topic that some of your listeners may know is just like the S&P 500, for example. So you'll see on the news on a daily basis, the S&P 500 is up or down 1%. And yeah, effectively, you're kind of saying it's an index of the 500 largest companies in the US and investing in that is kind of somewhat straightforward. The funds that invest in that index are really super transparent and really low cost. And to kind of quantify that, um, if you invest a thousand pounds, a kind of a total total expense ratio of kind of five basis points, you'll pay 50 pence a year. And then to quantify what that might mean if you invest in more of an active fund at 1% total expense ratio, £1,000 equals kind of £10 a year worth of cost. So the magnitude of cost is very material, basically, between the two approaches. Mm-hmm. And I would say, I mean, one of the main reasons as well is to get the diversification of the portfolio. So why would someone be interested in passive investment on top of the low fees and the diversification aspect, as you said, because out of the S&P 500, for example, instead of buying each of the 500 stocks, which would mean a lot of transactions, a lot of costs and a lot of pain, and, and even a big portfolio needed because you would need X amount of money to buy each of the stocks. So from few hundred or not even pound worth of money, you can actually have the broad exposure. What are the other reasons? So yeah, I guess you've mentioned most of them really that you are getting a really cost efficient way to access specific geographies, sectors or themes uh, within uh, like a diversified opportunity set with what could potentially be a much lower amount of money. So I think those are the reasons, really. Um, the diversification, it is your friend. You're usually not taking large single stock bets. So, yeah, while diversification doesn't really prevent you from losing money in falling markets, it does mean that you're insulated from falls in any individual stock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes total sense. And product-wise, can you explain the diversity of products too? So even though we don't necessarily talk about statistics here, but there's more than 9,000 ETFs, for example, at the moment, and it's all about ETFs or passive funds. And even in terms of asset classes, we're talking about equity and fixed income and commodities and, and lots of different themes. So, Sure. So it's a bit of a misconception that all ETFs have to be passively managed or index funds. So the fund structure can cater to almost anything that's liquid. It is, after all, just a, a mutual fund that's um, traded on exchange. 
And then it's more the regulatory wrapper that sometimes dictates whether certain strategies or asset classes have the profile for it to allow it to be wrapped as an ETF. And then in terms of which asset classes, so there are single asset class ETFs, they're single, but also kind of multiple asset class ETFs. So, you know, there's nothing different about an ETF versus a usual mutual fund. And they can kind of almost wrap any investments, liquid investment strategy into an ETF. Mm-hmm. And what do you mean with uh, multiple asset classes into one ETF? Can you give us an example? Sure. So there's a couple of funds that are multi-asset effectively. So you can invest in a single fund that allows you to access to, to multiple asset classes. So think about your real estate, your bonds, your, your equities, alternative asset classes like hedge funds. Yeah, so in my previous role, so I spent five years on the multi-asset investment analyst side. And that was part of my role was to try and assess um, individual investments, but also ways of accessing those individual investments, whether it be through ETFs or or index funds or hedge funds or real estate funds. So, yeah, there's multiple ways to kind of structure how you invest your overall total pot. If you want to kind of invest in equities or, or fixed income, you can do that by individual exposures, but you can also allocate your total pot to kind of a multi-asset manager who would then kind of do those allocation decisions on your behalf. Cool. So let's talk about your job now being an ETF portfolio manager. And my first question would be, how do you practically track an index? Because I guess it's a lot of rebalancing to adjust the different weights. Yes. So this answer kind of depends on how the fund is set up. So there's three different ways that the funds are set up on our side. So we've got fully replicating, we've got optimized, and we've got synthetically replicated funds. So generally speaking, what it means is you're investing according to the weights that are set out in the index, but incorporating any changes that the rules can dictate. For example, if there's mergers or corporate activity in the fund that you're managing, you need to kind of make adjustments for those on on the day-to-day. So rebalancing the funds is where the index change weights at predefined dates. So this would be kind of a workflow that we've managed on the desk where, you know, we know all of the dates that all of the funds that we manage are rebalancing. And for the core funds, this is somewhat straightforward because all of the underlying stocks in the universe are somewhat liquid. Um, But for the thematic funds, that's where it can get really interesting. So, you know, we'll have some funds where we've got larger positions in kind of small mid-cap names and you know it can take us a couple of days sometimes to rebalance back towards the the index and yeah it's both an art and a science where my team spend a lot of time and effort to you know it can take just a, a couple of days longer to kind of move the portfolio from its previous shape to its future shape and doing that can be really interesting and it's an area where we spend a, a lot of time on analysis. Mm-hmm. And super interesting as well to know the difference between the liquid products, which is nearly like automatic, compared to, as you said, the small cap or mid caps, where actually maybe your position is too big compared to the market, and then you need to create a strategy in order to buy or sell, depending on what you want to do. Yeah. Yes. And there's an added complexity if the funds get very large. So it's a really interesting part of our job, and it's both a kind of academic, but also practical challenge on a kind of quarterly or otherwise basis in some of the funds. Mm -hmm. And how do you recognize a good ETF? Is it all about the tracking error, which is basically the difference between 
your performance, the performance of the fund and the index it's supposed to replicate? So this is a really good question. And for core exposures, kind of for the reasons that we previously discussed, that you know indices are really liquid and you can trade more or less just on the last print, that for those kinds of funds, I think that's a, a good way to assess them. However, for like a thematic portfolio where there can be equal weights in the index and a much higher weight in kind of less easy to trade names, I think it's really important to do a more of a deep dive on the index that's tracked. So if the index is doing something really interesting or innovative, if the fund manager needs to take kind of a little bit of a different approach in how they manage the product uh, just due to say liquidity constraints or otherwise, you know, if you focus too much on that one data point about tracking difference or tracking error, it might lead you to reject something that actually is a really interesting fund. And then, you know, with more active approaches that can be built into indexes, um, you could potentially miss out on, you know, gaining exposure to an interesting part of the overall market. So yeah, I think the answer is kind of nuanced, but it, it allows you to kind of, From my perspective, I don't think you should miss out on a really interesting investment just because the the tracking error or tracking difference is somewhat higher than might be expected. Mm -hmm. And again, I think it goes back to why do you want to invest in the fund and then your strategy around it? And yeah, especially for what you said, like the themes or anything less liquid. Cool. So if we're talking about passive investing or index investing, so there's not much room for strategy or, or personal convictions. So how detached are you from the market? So I think this is one where with any investment approach, there's always room for kind of very considered and thoughtful way of, of approaching things. So I think you're probably right that I'm not as emotional about what the market does on a day-to-day basis as maybe I used to be in my multi-asset days, but I am probably more considered about how the fund range delivers relative to the indices tracked on a day-to-day basis rather than on an absolute basis. Um, so if the fund is down five and the index is down five, you know my team has delivered what we're supposed to have done on a daily basis. Um, whereas if you're kind of trying to deliver absolute return on a daily or weekly or monthly basis for, for your clients, then, you know, those days can be more emotionally tough. Yeah. And can you share your typical workday? Sure. So a typical day starts kind of between seven and eight uh, with my team catching up at around 8.30. We check in on what we need to be on top of for that day. Uh, so my days are super varied. Um, so as a portfolio manager, you know, the desk needs to be really structured. We're really organized and we do have a team-based approach of making sure that we manage the funds uh, correctly. There's a variety of flashing charts throughout the day, some screens that we're checking things and making sure that we're on top of everything that's going on across the fund range. And um, so you're trying to juggle things that need to happen right now uh, versus, you know, what needs to happen next week and, and a couple of years out and everything in between. So it is really hectic and uh, it's really busy on, on the day-to-day, but um, it's really rewarding as well. So we're building a really excellent business and the AUM that's tracking uh, you know, our product range has grown very significantly. So um, clients uh, really appreciate what we're doing. And I think you know that positive re- feedback mechanism keeps us all really motivated. Yeah, so really well done. (laughs) And how often do you launch new products? Because as I said earlier, there's 9,000 
ETFs at the moment. So are there space for more? And yeah, they kind of replicate already everything from established markets to pretty niche ones. So yeah, what's your view or strategy there? So yeah, I think it's a really accurate description of the overall market. It's super concentrated and there's lots of competition in the space. We do have a really wider range of products and we continue to build out the, the kind of range where kind of in line with their client views and wants. We're aiming to be kind of a, a full service provider um, from core building blocks right through to the thematic, more niche exposures. So yeah, I would say we launched a number of products every year. We're aiming to be um, innovative and different rather than building the same funds as everybody else. I think that's what clients expect from us as well. Yeah. And if you were to quote, I don't know, one or two examples of the few ones you launched last year, which one would you say? Sure. So probably the most different one was uh, Photonics ETF. So that is um, a fund based on the, the science of light. So it's, a, it's one of the key enabling technologies. So yeah, definitely an interesting niche product that, that clients that like. But yeah, actually, I'm probably not allowed to speak about individual products. Otherwise, my compliance team might get upset with me. <laughs> Sounds good. So let's talk about strategy way now. So is passive investment for every kind of investors or do you recommend it mostly for beginners? And I'm just asking because sometimes for some people, it might feel a bit boring just to follow the market in general and not take like your own bets. Sure. So to be completely clear, I can't offer advice, but I believe it's really worthwhile to read up on the academic research here. So cost awareness and total cost of ownership is kind of unequivocally important. So in my view, the research also suggests that like the average investor will both struggle to pick stocks or fund managers successfully. But however, you've historically been really well served by just being invested. So I would say I'm a voracious reader of all things investments. And, you know, I still have big dreams of uh, stock picking for my own account. But, you know, a healthy skepticism, even though I'm in the markets all day, every single day, is kind of warranted on both, you know, my own abilities to stock pick and, and pick investment managers on my own behalf, you know. Uh, so my experience is kind of where you're like overconfident in your own abilities, the markets will find ways to, to humble you. And, um, you know, index investing doesn't need to be boring. Uh, so that would be kind of one of my key takeaway messages for everyone listening is that, you know, there are high octane investment funds out there allowing you to express a view, for example, in battery technology, in clean energy, in water technology, hydrogen, cybersecurity, robotic, just to name a few. So, you know, you can express a view and they can be, volatile and, and they can deliver meaningful returns uh, one way or the other. And I think it's one of those ones where maybe index investing gets a bad rap sometimes for being boring, but it doesn't need to be that way. Mm -hmm. No, it makes sense. And I love the explanation behind and as well. I love your words about being humble <laughs> because we all try to want to like outperform and find ideas and but yeah, it's not working all the time. <laughs> yes. You know, from my own experience, taking a more systematic approach and um, trusting in some of the experts that build uh, products. And um, I think that's an approach that makes sense to me. And I think the Overall, it doesn't need to be boring. Um, generally, it's one where, you know, 
from what we've seen is that clients really like a story. And, you know, if you invest in a story, you can kind of hold through some of the harder times uh, because inevitably there will be periods where things don't perform as well as you would hope they would. Um, But yeah, I think that's probably the overall message is that if you can kind of, you know, align things to your convictions, maybe it allows you to hold through some of those difficult periods when they inevitably come. Mm -hmm. No, it makes so much sense. And so do you recommend having like a 100% passive strategy or do you see it as as part of your portfolio and because you're a fund manager and I'm sure you invest for yourself how would you describe your investment portfolio do you have just ETFs because you're the expert or do you have a mix so this is once again kind of total personal preference and I wouldn't advocate for kind of one extreme or the other I think it kind of depends on your own views and approach it's something that you as an investor need to become comfortable with you know how you're approaching things and yeah I do have kind of a total mix of investments across asset class across region a lot of ETFs but also a handful of kind of single stock investments and they're sometimes from you know legacy holdings that I would have had before I kind of knew more about investments and yeah I think you know it's definitely been really interesting journey that I've been on for for my own account I would say uh, over a number of years of of kind of being humbled by the markets at at times. (laughs) That's great, (laughs) love that. So thank you so much Peter for this discussion it was uh, super interesting and thanks for shedding a light on what you do and and, um, help people understand better and yeah super interesting subject so thank you so much to empower money chill out science no problem at all Uh, absolute pleasure to be on and really great to see you again bye bye so at the end of this episode i hope you're as enthusiastic as i am you can find the notes and the key takeaways on my website at maricafino.com and if you like this podcast please subscribe and spread the word thank you